The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Unity in World Religions is a book by longtime Unity minister Paul John Roach that connects the dots between Unity teachings and the tenets of the world's religions. Get your copy today at unity.org slash worldreligions. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi there, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, and guess what? I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my good buddy and co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I have this idea that today is going to solve all of my problems, today's podcast. What do you think? Oh, I'm certain that it will. I mean, how could it not? You're putting that energy into it. That's right. I have a question for you about writing because we're going to be talking with Jacob Nordby again. And uh, this is your first time talking to him. Royce and I were were on the last podcast. And uh, I have a question for you about creativity. When you're writing, do you believe in in the muse, you know, the idea of the muse and that sort of thing? Or is writing more of a practice that you do continuously every day? How does it work for you? You know, that's such a great question, because when I was listening to the the first podcast that you and Royce did with Jacob and and Royce was speaking about how he, you know, writes every morning and he's very fastidious and very good about his practice. And I laughed and thought, I'm exactly the opposite. Are you? Uh, I am. I am an immersive writer. So that idea of the the muse, um, although I wouldn't language it that way, it's very much what happens for me is I have to go somewhere or I have to do, be in in an environment that allows me to completely focus on something. So when I write my books, I squirrel away in hotels for like four or five days at a time, um, not eating terribly healthy, but you know, following the trail, the muse, wherever it goes, or I might be driving and an idea comes to me and then I write it down on a little post-it note and throw it on my dashboard. You know, so for me, it's very much the idea of uh, catch the moment when it comes to me and let it do its flow and, and whatever is, is coming to me that needs to be recorded to write it down rather than to write every day as a practice. But I do admire people who can do that. Interesting. That's a yeah. very interesting approach. It is, it is the opposite of what some people approach it with. Yeah. And I've tried, I really have. I mean, I write a lot of essays. I write a, a weekly essay for a magazine and I write monthly essays for some other publications. And so I do have to sit down and, and, I almost said force myself to write, which I don't think Jacob would be real happy about me <laughs> saying, but sometimes I have to. And it's interesting. I've been talking to some other writers who write on deadline mm-hmm. and the idea of, you know, what if that week, especially with pandemic fatigue, what if that week just nothing comes? 
If you're someone who waits for the inspiration to come, what if nothing comes? And so I think Jacob's uh, book is really helpful in, in sussing out some of those ideas of if nothing's coming, like what might be broken or what might we try or what might get the flow going again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when I write uh, from here, here and there, I need to have a deadline. I mean, that's just the kind of person that I, that I am. Um, I hate a deadline at the same time, but I need to have a deadline because otherwise <laughs> I'll just float forever, I think. Yeah, it's easy to do that. And I, I will find myself editing and re-editing and re-editing and re-editing until the deadline comes. Uh, but that's an interesting thing. Maybe we can ask Jacob today about this love-hate relationship of deadlines. Yes, yes, we should. All right. Do you have a quote for today? I do. I stole it from Jacob's book, though he's quoting someone else. So let's see if you can figure out who he's quoting. The biggest fear we have is not the fear of dying, but the fear to be alive, to be ourselves, to say what we feel, to ask for what we want, to say yes when we want to say yes, and no when we want to say no. Oh, I should know who that is. It's not young, is it? Who is it? No, it's somebody we've had as a guest on the show. Who is it? Julia Cameron? Who is it? Oh, you're close. It's Don Miguel Ruiz. Don Miguel Ruiz, of course. Yes, that a little bit, I suppose that, you know, I don't, Jacob didn't source it in the book, but that may be one of the four agreements books, I'm, I suspect. That is awesome. Yeah, he was wonderful to have on the show as well. All right. And what did you come up with today? Well, I have this. See the world as yourself. Have faith in the way things are. Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. Oh, I love that. Who is it? That's actually from the Tao Te Ching. It, it, oh, is that just a little teaser for one of our upcoming shows on Taoism? It just might be. It just might be. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that too. We have so much coming up in the lineup. So excited. We really do. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Are you ready to get into the episode? Let's do it. Hi, friends. It's Martha Creek. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. I'm reading from a beautiful book of poetry called Susceptible to Light. Poetry by Chelan Harkin. C-H-E-L-A-N. Harkin, H-A-R-K-I-N. This poem is called Say Wow. Say Wow. Each day before our surroundings become flat with familiarity and the shapes of our lives click into place, dimensionless and average as Tetris cubes. Before hunger knocks from our bellies like a cantankerous old man and the duties of the day stack up like dishes and the architecture of our basic needs commissions all thought to construct the four-door sedan of safety. Before gravity clings to our skin like a cumbersome parasite and the colored dust of dreams sweeps itself obscure in the vacuum of reason. Each morning before we wrestle the world and our hearts into the shape of our brains, look around and say, wow. Each morning before we wrestle the world and our hearts into the shape of our brains, 
look around and say, wow, wow. Feed yourself fire. Scoop up the day entire like a planet-sized bouquet of marvel sent by the universe directly into your arms and say, wow. Fill the fire. Feed yourself fire. Scoop up the day entire like a planet-sized bouquet of marvel sent by the universe directly into your arms and say, wow. Break yourself down into the basic components of primitive awe and let the crescendo of each moment carbonate every capillary and say, wow. Yes, before our poems become calloused with revision, let them shriek off the page of spontaneity. And before our metaphors get too regular, let the sun stay a conflagration of homing pigeons that fight through fire each day to find us. Say, wow. Dear friends, infinite blessings to you as you find something intentionally today to say wow to and to say wow about and wow to you, my friends. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. And now it's time for our interview. As you may know from a previous episode, Jacob Norby's latest book is The Creative Cure, How Finding and Freeing Your Inner Artist Can Heal Your Life, with a foreword by Julia Cameron. He's the author of The Divine Arsonist, A Tale of Awakening, and Blessed Are the Weird, a Manifesto for Creatives. He leads the Creative Unboot Camp course for students around the world and offers transformational group retreats and individual creative guidance sessions. And I think he's pretty awesome. Jacob, welcome back to Big Universe. I just feel so happy to be back here. I, I loved being on your show. What was it, about a month ago? Yeah, that's right. We were, you know, now you do run the risk of becoming a semi-regular with your second appearance here. So be very, very wary. I, I can attest to this, Jacob. I was an interviewer a year and a half ago. Oh, really? <laughs> and now you're a co-host. And now I'm a co-host. So you oh just never know what happens when you make new friends. This sounds like a slippery slope. It is. It <laughs> a is. A good one. A good slippery fun ride. And I have to say that her pay has doubled since then. It may triple after this episode. You really? are correct. <laughs> so, so Jacob, the last time we were we were together, we of course dived into your uh, realm of uh, the realm of Jacob Norby, and that is creativity. And of course, we're going to jump right back into that again. Is that cool with you? I love it. So, my first question is, um, and we might be running over some territory again, but uh, why is it important for us to be be creative? And what do you mean by each of us being creative? Well, I feel like it, the reason it's important is creativity is the expression of our true selves. It is the expression of our souls, if you want. And so to not be creative is actually denying who we really are. That's how I feel about it. Now, you say it's also important to the world that we be creative. Why is that? Well, my sense is, and it's gone beyond a sense, it used to be a hunch. Now I've tested it and it's 
it's the natural expression of a healthy connection to who we really are, to our inner selves, Jim. And so when, when we are in connection with ourselves, then we are growing in health and we are growing and a healthy cell spreads health, health to the cells around it. So that's how I see this is it's really less about a particular kind of creative expression, more the traditional arts or, you know, inventing things. It's more a question of how can I be creating my entire life as an expression of who I really am aligned with myself, with source, with all of that, you know? I'm curious about, about the muse, the idea of the muse. Um, some people feel like there's a magical connection or flow that you, that you receive from, from whatever you call a muse. And uh, other people say like Seth Godin in his book, The Practice talks about, you know, you show up every day and regardless of a sense of muse, you know, the flow comes, but you show up and do it every day. Now, Sarah earlier was talking about how she, her, her concept is, and I'm paraphrasing Sarah here. Oh no, don't paraphrase Sarah. Sarah <laughs> says Go ahead. That, she, that I have, I, I struggle with that, that kind of daily writing thing. I'm, I'm very much an immersive writer, hole up in a hotel for four days and write 14 hours a day. Mm. So I was explaining that, that kind of process. So I'm wondering what your take is on, on the idea of the muse and how, how you write. Well, I feel that what Sarah just, what you just said, Sarah, about knowing how you work there, I, I feel like that's such a critical part of learning to create more fluidly in our lives is not taking even the words of Seth Godin or Stephen King or any other master writer out there or creator in whatever version of creation we're up to and saying, this is how I need to be finding out and saying, okay, that's really good there's some good principle there. There's good principles about creating something that's regular, that's consistent, and you show up and the muse uh, meets you there. But I think finding out how it is we work and then becoming more and more aligned with that actually leads to more effortless creation. Um, so Sarah, it sounds as if you, now when you do that, is that some sort of like you have a project that you know that you want to complete a book or a or essays or something and you then you just know that you have to go and set yourself kind of aside from the world to get it done i i think that's very much it and i think part of and it's it's something that i noticed in your book too that idea of, of allowing space for the ideas to come too it's often mm. like where I, I drive some i i have something i have to write and then i drive for an hour and a half somewhere mm. the idea starts to percolate and mm -hmm. then when i get there i eat entirely too much sugar and i start writing <laughs> and that and that's my process. And I found this amazing yeah. hotel nearby me that has bowls of candy everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, as if as if they just appeared when I needed them. Uh, but I but I really appreciate what you said, Jacob, because it can be very frustrating to, you know, try to do something and try to be someone that you're not, mm -hmm. um, based on reading experts that may not even be in, in, in your area. So I really appreciate you bringing that into the show. Well, and I think that this is so applicable outside of what we traditionally call the arts. You know, so you and I are writers. Jim, are you a writer? I'm an aspiring writer, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone's a writer to some, to some extent, whether we think of ourselves that way or not. But, you know, some of us know it's in us and that's how we express. But I think if we take this idea that Sarah and I have been knocking back and forth here of trying to conform to 
a guru or an expert or societal structure of this is how you're supposed to do it and go, well, maybe, maybe I have a version of that. That's all my own. And that will work for me. And here's an example. I, I have not been formally diagnosed, but I've read enough material to eventually begin to see my own reflection in the mirror and realize, Oh yeah, I do. I, I exhibit a lot of symptoms of ADD or ADHD, whichever one that is. And so what's funny, um, Sarah, for me is when I'm writing something, I find myself frequently bouncing into social media and then back to my work, or I'll take a walk with a friend and back to my work. And my brain that has done so much study about how you're supposed to write really hates that and says, <laughs> I'm doing the, I'm doing it wrong. But what's interesting for me is even though I'm terribly introverted, not terribly, I'm wonderfully introverted. Um, I do find that sometimes I need contact. There's something alchemical that happens when I'm interacting with other people and then bounce back into that space. And so I think it's the process of learning to create more fluidly is a process of fine tuning of who am I? How am I? How do I work best? And then really learning to go with that. I love that what you bring in there, Jacob, is the idea that creativity or being creative in this broader sense, is not always an individual endeavor. Mm. And we seem to think that it, you know, sometimes, like I say, it's me writing. But, you know, it may be me writing based on what I saw out the window while I was driving, based on the bird who flew across from me, based on the comment I just heard from Jim this morning. Like, there's so I much I didn't mean that, that <laughs> negatively. <laughs> all, but, all, but you know where I'm going here, right? This idea that, that this... this if we're creating as a lifestyle, if we're if, if creativity is an experience, as Jacob, as you say, you know, it, it's not just about what happens when I put my hand on the keyboard, right? Very much agree. Um, Jim, I'm going to ask you to comment for a minute because I have my landscaper walking by with a really loud uh, weed eater. So I'm going to shut up for just a second so I can mute myself. <laughs> he, he's creating in your yard. It's going to look amazing. <laughs> we enjoy the uh, the sounds of the world. My cat and my dog often interrupt us, so I wouldn't be concerned about that. Okay. Well, I had this experience, uh, Sarah, of exactly what you're talking about. Now I've moved over into Jim's area of expertise, um, course creation. And I had this course that needed to be created. And and I didn't realize that it was at the level of writing a book um, in terms of putting it all together, outlining it and getting ready to go produce it in a studio. Uh, I, for some reason, I think I had it in my head that, oh yeah, I can just kind of get the ideas together and go do it. And then I, as I began to work the, <laughs> uh -oh. I'm like, oh man, this is uh, <laughs> this is a big project. And, and, it, and it was, but I found myself being guided and I, and I have a daily practice of connecting with greater wisdom and intuition and it uses journaling and meditation. And so I would express in my journal, my anxiety about, oh my God, I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of ideas. How would this work? And I was guided to um, use what I often use as a mind map. Some people do really structured outlines, but I just put a big poster board out write the central idea and then start writing squiggly lines and bubbles with ideas in them and then notice where they begin to connect. And I, so I did that one day and then I kept getting the, I don't know, I call them my guides. I don't really see or hear them audibly, but um, I 
definitely have a sense of being guided. And so in my journal, sometimes the words come out in my journal and, and they said, look, you just really need to trust this process because you're going to be surprised by exactly what you need will happen in conversation. You'll be driving, you'll have an idea, a friend will say something. And it was interesting one day in particular, uh, a good friend of mine and I took a walk by the river for miles and miles. And, you know, he's into some of the same stuff, but we didn't know that we were talking about my course. It just developed during the conversation. There were some breakthroughs that happened and I got back and wrote them down and that was really helpful. And then of course, the next day I still felt afraid that I wasn't going to have any more ideas, but I begin, it began this process of realizing that a lot of the work of creating something doesn't happen during the time we've set aside to do it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I'm, you brought it up and I'm, I, I am curious more about how intuition comes to you or how this, this process comes to you, because, you know, um, I know that I want to hear a little bit about your, your past spirituality and how it applies, how your current set of spirituality applies to your, your work right now. Does, is that cool? Oh, of course. <laughs> Jim, last time, last time, I think we jumped way in the deep end. So you got to know that nothing's off limits here. <laughs> so I'm curious about your intuition. How does that exactly come to you through your journaling and through your um, meditation? Is that what you said? Well, I feel pretty strongly that intuition is meant to be a ubiquitous, um, pervasive experience of life, of moving through life, um, pretty much moment by moment. But I also feel that the connection to it is often frayed or filled with static. And so we have every single person has this native ability, this native um, skill of intuition, and we get trained away from it. And so I'm going to answer this a couple of different ways. One way is um, since we've been talking about a creative practice, you know, like sitting down and creating something, and sometimes people feel very frustrated with that. Like, I know I need to show up and do this thing every day. And that's one idea of, of a creative practice. And it's an important one, the consistency, you know, that's moving us toward finishing something. But I feel like there's a more fundamental creative practice and it connects directly to your question, Jim. And that is the, the practice of connecting with our inner creative self every day. And so for me, that is the most important part of it. Uh, because that is where these creations come from. And so for me, um, the act of sitting down with my journal isn't necessarily an intention toward gaining some intuitive information, although often it happens there. What it is doing is it's reminding myself and it's the practice of reconnecting with what's already there, with the intuition that's already there, with the connection that's there. It's a practice of clearing up the connection. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When you when we get into creativity, and whether it's writing or painting or, or the traditional parts of creativity, um, sometimes, you know, people feel like there has to be an end product um, to things rather than just an experience. What do you what are your thoughts on that? I, I was trying to remember if this was your show, it was a different show um, in the last couple of weeks. You're not allowed to go on other shows. Sorry, I was cheating with you on another show. This was a Canadian one, though, so hopefully that's all right. Oh, all right, that's fine. Oh, that's allowed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Canadian, it, I totally it, allow that. <laughs> it was, it's so interesting because we were talking about what happens when we allow ourselves to play 
um, in some art form or fumble around on a guitar or any of these things, write little poems that maybe we'll never even share with anyone. And as this conversation developed, I was just reminded that so often we are socialized in our culture to feel that if it's worth doing, it will become a product, which will mean it will be sold or it will gain us some level of you know, authority or fame or whatever. And what's interesting to me is that we have this inner playful self that is really where the magic happens. And so let's just say that what I, I had someone um, send me a note after that show and said, you know, I'm so happy. I feel so relieved to hear you say that because what I love to do is go in a backyard and um, trim my flowers and water and I find myself singing and I'm just, I'm just playing. And, and she said, I'll never be a professional gardener. I won't have a show on YouTube or anything like that. But she said, there's something that makes me feel more alive about that. And so I, I've met engineers and lawyers who sort of bashfully told me, yeah, you know, I have these projects that I do on the side, but they're not projects as in something I'm going to ever do anything with that will become a side hustle or, or turn into money. But somehow I go back to my office, I go back to my real work for pay, um, more fluid, more empathetic, more alive. Um, I do a better job. And I'm like, well, there's the value then, because it doesn't have to become a packaged product that gets sold. And I think that's one of the big lies about creativity in, in our world and what keeps a lot of people from it. I am uh, deeply upset with you about something. And that is after I, uh, after I read your books, I actually started writing a little bit of poetry. Really? And that really annoyed me because I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that into poetry and I've never written it before, but the emotions came to me and it felt like that was a healing process for me. Oh, interesting. Would you, would you care to read some of it perhaps? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had this experience um, at the gathering of creatives. Uh, we had to shift online last year and, and cause I was going to do this live and we're going to do this live in, in September back in Santa Fe, but had this experience and I pitched the, you know, I was co-producing, but I pitched the, the president of the company and said, can we do a poetry experience? Not a slam, because that feels like a competition, but just, and, and he's like, well, yeah, but you have to do it because I don't know if it'll work. And what was interesting was we had hundreds of people show up online and the experience of having people read poetry they had written that day or maybe something they had tucked away. Um, and, and I told them, it's really okay if you show up and just listen, just be supportive. But it was a moving experience, Jim, of watching what happened when people allowed this form of expression that is so non-linear and it is so emotional and watching what happened, like we were all in tears. We were all giving each other these virtual hugs and it was a really, um, to reflect what you said, it's a healing experience and surprising. Well, we're going to jump into your magical creative formula when we get back. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Jacob Nordby. So, Jacob, I'm interested in the 
creative formula that you talk about in your book, imagination plus feelings, intuition plus stories equals action results. Can we dive into that a little bit? I would love to. And, and before I forget, I just want to, um, a huge appreciation to, to Unity, the Unity group. Um, when I was in Austin, which is Texas, living there, that's where I really reclaimed my old dream of becoming a writer. And it was during that time that I was attending the Unity Church of the Hills there in Austin. And so when I got, when you invited me on the show, I just, I just have such a warm place for, for the work of Unity. So anyway, thank, thank you for that before I forget. Um, yeah, let's talk about the creative formula. This, this was one of those things that came to me driving down the road. I felt like in my own way, I felt like, uh, you know, Newton getting hit on the head with the apple or whatever that old fable was. No, I was, I, cause I've been working away. It's like, there's some kind of structure to what we create and there is, there's a formula for it. And so it, it came out, it came out while I was driving one day and I pulled over and wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. But so everything starts in the imagination, everything, every act we take, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, it starts in the imagination. And from there, then we, our imagination, the thoughts about it generate feelings, um, negative or positive. And we either move with an intuitive direction about that or not. But then we also tell a story about that imagination um, and the feelings we have about it. So it either becomes more or less possible, more or less likely, um, more or less desirable for us to do something. But from that springs then some sort of action and from the action then springs result. And I know, I know knowing a, a bit about the founders of Unity and, the, and you know, Emmett Fox and that this is, um, this is very much, I think, in line with what they would teach. Um, this idea is that, so. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear your reflection on that because I, I didn't mean to do it that way, but later I realized, oh, this sounds a lot like some of uh, some of those old those old thinkers. When you're talking about feeling and intuition, give me a little more insight on on what that means. Is it something that you come up with, or is it something natural from your imagination as you picture this? Well, let's let's do it right now. Let's because I did this on the the. Uh, new course I recorded recently, I actually started out with a lemon um, and held it up. So let's, let's all do a, a imaginative exercise. So I'm holding up a lemon and I'd like everyone listening just to imagine that they're holding a lemon. So um, I imagine that you're probably not coming up with a pink lemon or a blue lemon, it's likely yellow, but I want you to imagine that you're running your fingers along the skin of that lemon and you're feeling the little bumps and the smoothness and now I want you to hold it up to your nose and smell the skin so you can smell a little of that lemony essence. And now I want you to imagine that you have a knife and you cut it in half and that you put one half down and you hold the other half and you, and you run it over your tongue. Just do that. Did you feel what happened in your mouth right there? Like you probably- Oh yeah, yeah, watering, right? Right, <laughs> right? okay. so we we have imagination we have this power of imagination and whether we know it or not it is always running by the way this creative formula is running at all times whatever we're creating is a result of this this it's always happening most of it is happening unconsciously and we get taught at a very early age to quit using the imagination for what it was meant for which is creating beautiful things inspiring things and experiences we get taught very early on to begin using it to 
paint scenes of fear to anticipate disappointments or rejections or failures. And that's a protective mechanism. There's a reason that that happens. But many of us find ourselves in adulthood or in midlife or later and realize that, or maybe we don't realize that all we can see ahead of us is dark clouds. All we can see are these scenes of things we wouldn't love. You know, we read down through the um, headlines that helps us paint pictures of a world that's falling apart, of chaos, of the fact that we're probably going to die alone under a bridge holding a bottle of cheap liquor, um, the rats are going to eat our toes, you know, whatever extremes it goes to. But I think that we all have this experience, um, and whether we know it or not, our minds are constantly creating images about the next step, about our life, about what's coming next. And so when we begin to understand that we have we have the right and the responsibility to heal the connection to our imagination so we can begin using it in ways um, where we become truly divine creators in our own lives. And now we're no longer a victim um, of the world, of circumstance. Now we approach things in a different way. And this, this requires a process for most of us. For me, Jim, it required a process of giving myself, you know, this is several years ago when this began to really develop in me. I, I had to sit down. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and some depression, uh, fear about the future. And my adult brain was in full hyperactive mode of painting these scenes of things that I really didn't want. And so I would sit down and give myself a five minute imagination break. And I, and I would tell that part of my brain, of my psyche, hey, you're doing important work. You're looking out for the danger. I'm going to have a break. I'm going to become a little kid again. And I'm going to spend five minutes and just have a recess and imagine things that I would really love. And for some reason, knowing that it was going to be a recess and I'd get back to being an adult pretty soon, I was able to start developing permission to do that. And even something as simple as sitting and imagining a scene of some place that we really, really love, a very positive experience. Um, for me, that's on the shores of Redfish Lake is one of my favorite spots to do this imagination. And people go, well, why is it important to spend five or 10 minutes just imagining myself in a scene and the smells and the feelings and the sounds? What it is doing is when you intentionally exercise that psychological and emotional muscle of, of reclaiming that power of being able to do it, it little by little grows the power to be able to do it in our lives, to create the things that we want. And when we know that we can turn our imagination toward what we would love, um, that generates feelings, much like the feeling, the sensations in the body that we experienced licking that lemon that we cut in half completely in our imaginations, it generated a physical response. So this thing that is purely a picture in the mind when you focus on it and go through the practice of it, you actually generate hormones and um, neurochemicals that happen in your body that actually help you begin living in that experience. So imagination plus feelings, intuition plus story equals actions and results. That's the lineup. And I know we just spent most of the time on imagination, but that's where it really starts. And so getting more deeply into that, I feel like is what most of us need to do in reclaiming our kingdom of heaven, if you will. And when you're talking about action and results, can you talk about the other side of that equation a little bit? I am one of those people with uh, binders and to-do lists and Excel spreadsheets of <laughs> all the things I'm going to do today that are creative that don't get done. I'm like nine items behind already today. 
Um, but I think it's interesting when you talk about action and results. Can you share a little bit about that with our listeners? Yeah, and just imagine on the other side of that equal sign, the story that becomes generated uh, from whatever it is we're, so if I have a story that this next action is going to be difficult, it's going to be drudgery, I hate this, um, that means I'm going to have a different quality of action or result, right? And so if I go into it with intentionally saying, I, I know I need to take this actions, because we all have responsibilities. We all have obligations, legitimate obligations, things that we really do need to do and must do. Um, and so I've found that the quality and even the effectiveness of an action or uh, that will then become a result is directly affected by the story that I am telling about it, right? So let's take the nine items. Um, yeah, now see, and I'm already feeling it right now. Like, are I you? not have said that online, Sarah. <laughs> I brought Come this on. up. <laughs> well, why don't you just pick one of the items um, that's okay to talk about online? And no, I'm just curious, Sarah. So what's one of the items that's on your list that really does need to get done? So I have some paperwork that I need to do uh, with an insurance company. And I just have not found a way <laughs> yet. Uh, I have not found the magic solution to reframing that. And it keeps getting moved from day to day to day to day. And so, you know, it's one of those things. I, clearly my story about it is that it's going to be hard or difficult or drudgery or that I dread it or I don't want to know the answer or something like that. So, mm. you know, I think shifting the story about that item rather than moving it from Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday is perhaps where I'm going awry. Okay, so let's let's take today on a scale of 1 to 10, how one being I could totally procrastinate this and it's not going to cause any trouble in my life for today. Um, 10 being if I don't get this done today, I'm just going to cost me a lot of money and pain. Um, where would that be on that scale? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps that's part of the issue. <laughs> okay. Um, Create a story about that. Create a story. So probably somewhere in the middle. Okay. So it, it, it could probably get pushed another day or two and it's not, it, and it wouldn't wreck your life. Probably. Okay. So what happens if you tell the story that I don't have to do this at all today and I can focus on the other eight things? I need Jacob as our co-host. <laughs> we need to record that. I need to hear that every morning. Yeah. Watch out. He'll start making you write poetry. There you go. <laughs> We're actually going to take your insurance forms and write poetry from those. Oh, that them. would be awesome. <laughs> that would be. You know, that is one of the things I've started to try to think about is how to, you know, how, how to take these things that feel like drudgery or feel like um, the non-creative parts of my life. How do I embed creativity into that or, or at least a creative perspective in some way and what if there are no non-creative parts <laughs> so well let's go there for a second let me ask yeah. you because sometimes i feel very creative i'm in flow everything zipping and zapping and everything in the universe is collecting itself in gorgeous glitter as i throw it down on the page or whatever i'm doing and then other moments are i do not want to get out of the bed Mm -hmm. which feel uncreative. Mm -hmm. So if all life is creativity, why don't we feel it all the time? Hmm. Well, I love that question because it's a hard one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on our list. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it I mean, arose, is... so let's go there. 
No. After, after this, it'll be the answers to the universe. So that's right. Well, we all know that's universe. 42. 42, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with my people right now. All right. So no, I think that this this is a perspective shift, Sarah, that I feel like is so important. And it's the more I can remind myself of it, it literally makes every breath, every decision a a part of the life that I'm creating. And so for me, it's like a painting isn't made all of bright, sparkly, light colors. It's made of darker colors. It's made of, you know, so take those into feelings. It's made of fatigue. It's feel, it's made of needing to pay attention. Maybe I do need to rest and not get out of bed right now. Understanding that we're in this dynamic field of all possibility at every moment and that we have this internal creative mechanism, if you will, um, this essence that is experiencing and participating with the conditions of our life in every way. The more that I can remember that, the less I feel victimized by the experiences I'm having. The more that I remember that, oh, this next thing, this next, this next conversation, this next task is yet another opportunity for me to be in a conscious mode of creating something, an experience, a feeling, an outcome. And so that to me turns life, it, it turns it back into this layer cake rather than a pancake. It makes it have nuance and possibility that if I forget it, then I, then I tend to get back into the sense of being victimized or feeling like I'm obligated. And when I remember it, it's like literally every moment is some part of the life experience that I'm creating. So in however many years, let's say it's another 40 years or 50 years, and I'm ready to step over the threshold into the great unknown of the of eternity. If I'm able to look back at this stretch between here and there and go, oh my God, I spent more moments of being consciously aware of my role, of the joy, of the responsibility of creating this whole thing called life, you know? I That's so beautiful. I think it, it points to this idea that I know Jim wanted to go to, you know, talking about Sangha, but the, the fact that um, even those of us who, uh, who, who write, who, who teach spirituality and religion and different ideas and all of these things, that without other people to be able to be authentic with and to say, I don't always get it 100% in the way that I think I'm supposed to, or that I, that I write that I am supposed to, you know, being able to have that authentic feeling of these grays and their darks or the all of this and reminded by people that we respect and care for of these things because we can be hard on ourselves so talk a little bit about sangha definitely i was definitely looking forward to that um i'm, I'm curious how we create that sense of sangha too well first of all what is sangha creative groups, a group of, of like-minded folks who work together or, or exist together in, in a connection. That's yeah, interesting, because for me, Sangha is a group of people who don't seem like they should fit together, but do. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's That probably. is interesting. <laughs> well, That's my 12-stepness. <laughs> I was, yes, right. I was flipping well in 12-step. My, my mother's um, a member and has talked very much about the amazing experience of, of putting the shields down and being in mm. community with people who are deeply committed to healing and to growth and to acknowledging the imperfection and the hard spots and how good it feels to not have to show up 
with your makeup all just just right, so to speak, either literally or figuratively, like be able to show up as you are and know that you're going to be loved and seen and accepted and heard and supported. I think that's really probably the essence of Sangha. With creativity, can you create a group a Sangha that supports that creativity? How, how might you do that? Well, Julia Cameron, um, who's the reason I got to meet you guys in the first place, uh, she talks a lot about creative clusters. And um, she's, you know, she had sort of an old fashioned when she first wrote the, the artist's way, she had an old fashioned idea of just going to the library and going to the bulletin board and sticking up a postcard that says, I want to create a writing group, here's how to contact me and then invite people into this with some very simple um, guidelines about how we will treat each other and, you know, rather than being critical, we'll be supportive. Um, nowadays, there's so many other ways to do that on a private Facebook group. Um, the meetup system, meetup.com is one way I've used in the past, you know, of, of putting it out there and, and basically saying, I'm, I have this idea, this theme a rich, uh, around which I want to invite people who would love to be supported and would love to support each other. And I think having very simple guidelines of really, it is about support. This is not a critique group. It's not, um, you know, it's not a one-up personship group. Wow, I think I just said that in the most woke way I've ever said it. Not one-up, one up, one up personship. It's uh, <laughs> That's a quotable. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, this is really for us to feel safe. And by the way, when we look at healing from trauma and we look at some of the ways that we actually do grow, growth and healing can only happen in an environment of safety. Um, that's required for physical healing. It's required for mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. And so I think that's one of the most important aspects of, of creating Sangha or a community like that is um, the agreement together that we are here to create safety for each other and allow us to show up with the work that we're doing and share it back and forth and um, allow it to be made better because of that experience, but not because the world is full of critique. Um, you post post something on Facebook and you're likely to get plenty of people who tell you why you should have said it differently or um, why you're wrong or any number of those things. We don't need a group um, to do that. What we need in a group is to be able to expand and to look in each other's eyes and to experience um, that we are, that we matter, that, that our work matters, that why we're here together matters, you know? In the Blessed Other Weird book, you talk about the call of the soul and how we each have that. I wondered if you could express that a little bit more. You know, growing up in the religious environment that I did, soul was sort of a, well, nebulous, I think, as it generally is, but also pretty well-defined in some ways, or at least the feeling of it. Um, and it was this kind of responsibility to take care of my never-dying soul so I didn't go to hell. And so um, as I was able to, you know, release myself from some of those ideas over time, um, coming up to what, what's, what is soul, you know, and spent a lot of time in some of the works of Jung and the Eastern mystics and various people. And what I've come to is it's really, by the way, have you ever seen the movie Spar uh, Soul, the, the fairly new Disney movie? I thought Loved you were going to say Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. I'm not you following that trap. Star like, Wars in the mind. <laughs> I have. It's a wonderful show. Wonderful movie. I loved it because they were talking about your spark. And the Institute for Creative Living, which is what some project I'm involved with right now and creating, it talks about find your spark. And so for me, the soul is this vitality. It's the 
energy of life that what happened when each of us was born. And it's meant to carry us through this curious learning creature. I'm misquoting Richard Bach right now, but it's this, it's this self that wants to experience, that wants to explore, that wants to express the joy of being here in all of the lights and darks. And so the call of the soul is, for me, it is this continual being invited forward into more life, into more finding out of who I really am and what it is that I want to create here in this experience. And um, I feel that so many people are afraid that they've lost that or maybe never had it. And so the work to me, Jim, to recover, to restore the call of the soul is oftentimes just going back to the simplicity. Like I, I feel that kind of like Hansel and Gretel, our true self has been dropping breadcrumbs along the trail so that we could find our way home. And to me, the call of the soul is really coming home to, to ourselves, to who we really are, and then finding out how we want to express that. You talk about a deep sense of anxiety in society right now. And that's so, so true right now, especially it feels in the past few years, it has built up. Um, and maybe that's for a transformation at some point for society. But, you know, what is it that's missing um, from the, perhaps from the tribe of weirdos that the tribe of weirdos that can provide as, as we talk about in the blessed are the weird. What are what can the bless the weird bring to us that um, we're not actually that as a society we're not used to at this moment? Ooh, okay. So we're absorbing change at a pace that is, as far as we know, unprecedented in human history, at least our current version of human history. Um, think about your grandparents or great grandparents. Um, they experienced change and some of them pretty dramatic change, you know, like during my great grandfather's time, it went from horse and carriage to, you know, space travel uh, before he died. So he definitely experienced a lot of change, but what we've experienced in the last 20 or 30 years is this incredible hockey stick of, we don't have the predictable structures that used to make life feel very safe. So if you imagine a table with four legs, um, let's say religion, some version of religion, the government, business, um, the press. So if you look at kind of what used to make life feel really stable, our trust in those main pillars has been eroding for a long time and they're not able to keep up with the rate of change of information, of the way business and the world has shrunk. And so what happens is we have this incredible sense of insecurity or uncertainty, and that brings up the anxiety. Um, and, and many of the changes are very positive. Many of the um, creations and evolutions of knowledge and of technology and all this is bringing good things into our lives in many ways, but we have to adapt to it. And frankly, we're, our psyches and our bodies and emotions are not necessarily built to absorb that much change that quickly. One thing that I think back to your question, Jim, those of us who have always been a little bit outside of the structures in some way or offbeat in some way, we're a little bit more used to that sense of being off kilter. And so I think we probably have a little bit more of a naturally fluid way of moving with and going, okay, this is going to suck, um, or it's going to be scary, or it's going to, whatever, I'm going to feel awkward. But we're used to that. And so being able to model that it's okay to feel awkward because 
those of us who haven't lived in a little box all of our lives, maybe it's not that we don't feel the same level of anxiety, but we, we know how it is to navigate it, um, to live with it. What's one final piece of advice or practice that you would suggest to help us bring to healing, bring to creativity in our, in our everyday lives, for instance? You know, is it okay if I offer a, a free ebook to give away that might help with that? Did sure. I do that last time? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so on my website, um, jacobnordby.com, there's a there's a little ebook, and and it's it talks about this practice of journaling. But I, for people who don't like to journal, I would just say it's a practice of listening to yourself. And I would like to jump right into meditation or some other version, but I find that this to be such a fundamental practice. This little ebook teaches three questions to ask. How do I feel? What do I need? And what would I love? And uh, so I'd love to give it away if you want to, if you want to take that, but that, that has become such a fundamental practice in my life that helps me reorient. It helps me remember who I am, how I'm feeling, what I need. And then it shifts me into the, into the act of imagining what would I love or how would I love to feel in this moment or in this day or in this project. And so I would say, for this to boil it down to the most simple terms if if i have to invite someone to start somewhere it's learn how to listen to yourself because the wisdom that you need it all you are connected to vast intelligence and love in this universe and to remind yourself that on a daily basis will actually begin to help you feel like you are more in the creator's seat in your life awesome thank you so much jacob it's been fantastic having you on again thank you i love being here for more information about Jacob Nordby, you can go to jacobnordby.com and check out his latest book, The Creative Cure. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.